Section 15 of Lives of the Most Eminent Painters, Sculptors, and Architects, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lives of the Most Eminent Painters, Sculptors, and Architects, Volume 6, by Giorgio Vasari. Translated by Gaston Ducy de Vere. Section 15. Life of Giulio Romano, Painter, Part 2 Thereupon Giulio made a very beautiful model, all of rustic work both without and within the courtyard, which pleased that lord so much that he assigned a good sum of money for the building. And after Giulio had engaged many masters, the work was quickly carried to completion. The form of the palace is as follows. The building is quadrangular, and has in the centre an open courtyard after the manner of a meadow, or rather, of a piazza, into which open four entrances in the form of a cross. The first of these traverses straightway, or rather, passes into a very large loggia, which opens by another into the garden, and two others lead into various apartments, and these are all adorned with stucco work and paintings. In the hall to which the first entrance gives access, the vaulting is wrought in various compartments and painted in frescoes, and on the walls are portraits from life of all the favourite and most beautiful horses from the stud of the Marquis, together with the dogs of the same coat or marking as the horses, with their names, which were all designed by Giulio, and painted in fresco on the plaster by the painters Benedetto Pagni and Rinaldo Mantovano, his disciples, and so well, in truth, that they seem to be alive. From this hall one passes into a room which is at one corner of the palace, and has the vaulting most beautifully wrought with compartments in stucco work and varied mouldings, touched in certain places with gold. These mouldings divide the surface into four octagons, which enclose a picture in the highest part of the vaulting, in which is Cupid marrying Psyche in the sight of Jove, who is on high, illumined by a dazzling celestial light and in the presence of all the gods. It would not be possible to find anything executed with more grace or better draughtsmanship than this scene, for Giulio foreshortened the figures so well, with a view to their being seen from below, that some of them, although they are scarcely one braccio in length, appear when seen from the ground to be three braccia high, and in truth they are wrought with marvellous art and ingenuity, Giulio having succeeded in so contriving them that, besides seeming to be alive, so strong is the relief, they deceive the human eye with a most pleasing illusion. In the octagons are all the earlier stories of Psyche, showing the adversities that came upon her through the wrath of Venus, and all executed with the same beauty and perfection. In other angles are many loves, as likewise in the windows, producing various effects in accordance with the spaces where they are, and the whole of the vaulting is painted in oils by the hands of the above-mentioned Benedetto and Rinaldo. The rest of the stories of Psyche are on the walls below, and these are the largest. In one fresco is Psyche in the bath, and the loves are bathing her, and then wiping her dry with most beautiful gestures. In another part is Mercury preparing the banquet, while Psyche is bathing, with the Bacantes sounding instruments. 
and there are the graces adorning the table with flowers in a beautiful manner. There is also Silenus supported by satyrs, with his ass and a goat lying down, which has two children sucking at its udder, and in that company is Bacchus, who has two tigers at his feet, and stands leaning with one arm on the credence, on one side of which is a camel, and on the other an elephant. This credence, which is barrel-shaped, is adorned with festoons of verdure and flowers, and all covered with vines laden with bunches of grapes and leaves, under which are three rows of bizarre vases, basins, and drinking-cups, tatsi, goblets, and other things of that kind in various forms and fantastic shapes, and so lustrous that they seem to be of real silver and gold, being counterfeited with a simple yellow and other colours, and that so well, that they bear witness to the extraordinary genius and art of Giulio, who proved in this part of the work that he was rich, versatile, and abundant in invention and craftsmanship. Not far away may be seen Psyche, who, surrounded by many women who are serving and attiring her, sees Phoebus appearing in the distance among the hills in the chariot of the sun, which is drawn by four horses, while Zephyr is lying nude upon some clouds, and is blowing gentle breezes through a horn that he has in his mouth, which makes the air round Psyche balmy and soft. These stories were engraved not many years since after the designs of Battista Franco of Venice, who copied them exactly as they were painted from the great cartoons of Giulio by Benedetto of Pescia and Rinaldo Montovano, who carried into execution all the stories except the Bacchus, the Silenus, and the two children suckled by the goat, although it is true that the work was afterwards retouched almost all over by Giulio so that it is very much as if it had been all painted by him. This method, which he learned from Raffaello, his instructor, is very useful to young men, who in this way obtain practice and thereby generally become excellent masters. And although some persuade themselves that they are greater than those who keep them at work, such fellows, if their guide fails them before they are at the end, or if they are deprived of the design and directions for the work, learn that through having lost or abandoned that guidance too early, they are wandering like blind men in an infinite sea of errors. But to return to the apartments of the Tay, from that room of Psyche one passes into another full of double friezes with figures in low relief, executed in stucco after the designs of Giulio by Francesco Primaticcio of Bologna, then a young man, and by Giovanni Battista Mantovano, in which friezes are all the soldiers that are on Trajan's column at Rome, wrought in a beautiful manner, and on the ceiling, or rather soffit, of an antechamber, is painted in oils the scene when Icarus, having been taught by his father Daedalus, seeks to rise too high in his flight, and, after seeing the sign of Cancer and the chariot of the sun, which is drawn by four horses in foreshortening, near the sign of Leo, is left without his wings the wax being consumed by the heat of the sun. And near this the same Icarus may be seen hurtling through the air, and almost falling upon those who gaze at him, his face dark with the shadow of death. This invention was so well conceived and imagined by Giulio, that it seems to be real and true. 
for in it one sees the fierce heat of the sun burning the wretched youth's wings the flaming fire gives out smoke and one almost hears the crackling of the burning plumes while death may be seen carved in the face of icarus and in that of daedalus the most bitter sorrow and agony in our book of drawings by various painters is the original design of this very beautiful scene by the hand of giulio himself who executed in the same place the stories of the twelve months of the year showing all that is done in each of them in the arts most practised by mankind paintings which are notable no less for their fantastic and delightful character and their beauty of invention than for the judgment and diligence with which they were executed after passing the great lodger which is adorned with stucco work and with many arms and various other bizarre ornaments one comes to some rooms filled with such a variety of fantasies that the brain reels at the thought of them for giulio who was very fanciful and ingenious wishing to demonstrate his worth resolved to make at an angle of the palace which formed a corner similar to that of the room of psyche described above an apartment the masonry of which should be in keeping with the painting in order to deceive as much as possible all who might see it he therefore had double foundations of great depth sunk at that corner which was in a marshy place and over that angle he constructed a large round room with very thick walls to the end that the four external angles of the masonry might be strong enough to be able to support a double vault round after the manner of an oven this done he caused to be built at the corners right round the room in the proper places the doors windows and fireplace all of rustic stones rough hewn as if by chance and as it were disjointed and awry insomuch that they appeared to be really hanging over to one side and falling down having built this room in such strange fashion he set himself to paint in it the most fantastic composition that he was able to invent namely jove hurling his thunderbolts against the giants and so depicting heaven on the highest part of the vaulting he placed there the throne of jove representing it as seen in foreshortening from below and from the front within a round temple supported by open columns of the ionic order with his canopy over the centre of the throne and with his eagle and all was poised upon the clouds lower down he painted jove in anger slaying the proud giants with his thunderbolts and below him is juno assisting him and around them are the winds with strange countenances blowing towards the earth while the goddess ops turns with her lions at the terrible noise of the thunder as also do the other gods and goddesses and venus in particular who is at the side of mars and momus with his arms outstretched appears to fear that heaven may be falling headlong down and yet he stands motionless the graces likewise are standing filled with dread and beside them in like manner the hours all the deities in short are taking to flight with their chariots the moon saturn and janus are going towards the lightest of the clouds in order to withdraw from that terrible uproar and turmoil and the same does neptune who with his dolphins appears to be seeking to support himself on his trident Pallas, with the nine muses, stands wondering what horrible thing this may be, 
and Pan, embracing a nymph who is trembling with fear, seems to wish to save her from the glowing fires and the lightning flashes with which the heavens are filled. Apollo stands in the chariot of the sun, and some of the Rs seem to be seeking to restrain the course of his horses. Bacchus and Selenus, with satyrs and nymphs, betray the greatest terror, and Vulcan, with his ponderous hammer on one shoulder, gazes towards Hercules, who is speaking of this event with Mercury, beside whom is Pomona all in disarray, as are also Vertumnus and all the other gods dispersed throughout that heaven, in which the effects of fear are so well expressed, both in those who are standing and in those who are flying, that it is not possible, I do not say to see, but even to imagine a more beautiful fantasy in painting than this one, in which the effects of fear are so well expressed, both in those who are standing and in those who are flying, that it is not possible, I do not say, to see, but even imagine a more beautiful fantasy in painting than this one. In the parts below, that is, on the walls that stand upright, underneath the end of the curve of the vaulting, are the giants, some of whom, those below Jove, have upon their backs mountains and immense rocks which they support with their stout shoulders, in order to pile them up and thus ascend to heaven, while their ruin is preparing, for Jove is thundering and the whole heaven burning with anger against them and it appears not only that the gods are dismayed by the presumptuous boldness of the giants upon whom they are hurling mountains but that the whole world is upside down and as it were come to its last day in this part julio painted briareus in a dark cavern almost covered with vast fragments of mountains and the other giants all crushed and some dead beneath the ruins of the mountains besides this through an opening in the darkness of a grotto, which reveals a distant landscape painted with beautiful judgment, may be seen many giants flying, all smitten by the thunderbolts of Jove, and, as it were, on the point of being overwhelmed at that moment by the fragments of the mountains like the others. In another part, Giulio depicted other giants, upon whom are falling temples, columns, and other pieces of buildings, making a vast slaughter and havoc of those proud beings. And in this part, among those falling fragments of buildings, stands the fireplace of the room, which, when there is a fire in it, makes it appear as if the giants are burning, for pluto is painted there flying towards the centre with his chariot drawn by lean horses and accompanied by the furies of hell and thus julio not departing from the subject of the story with this invention of the fire made a most beautiful adornment for the fireplace in this work moreover in order to render it the more fearsome and terrible julio represented the giants huge and fantastic in aspect falling to the earth smitten in various ways by the lightnings and thunderbolts some in the foreground and others in the background some dead others wounded and others again covered by mountains and the ruins of buildings wherefore let no one ever think to see any work of the brush more horrible and terrifying or more natural than this one and whoever enters that room and sees the windows doors and other such-like things all awry and as it were on the point of falling and the mountains and buildings hurtling down cannot but fear that everything will fall upon him 
and above all as he sees the gods in the heaven rushing some here some there and all in flight and what is most marvellous in the work is to see that the whole of the painting has neither beginning nor end but is so well joined and connected together without any divisions or ornamental partitions that the things which are near the buildings appear very large and those in the distance where the landscapes are go on receding into infinity whence that room which is not more than fifteen braccia in length has the appearance of open country moreover the pavement being of small round stones set on edge and the lower part of the upright walls being painted with similar stones there is no sharp angle to be seen and that level surface has the effect of a vast expanse which was executed with much judgment and beautiful art by giulio to whom our craftsmen are much indebted for such inventions in this work the above-mentioned rinaldo mantovano became a perfect colourist for he carried the whole of it into execution after the cartoons of giulio as well as the other rooms and if this painter had not been snatched from the world so young even as he did honour to giulio during his lifetime so he would have done honour to himself after giulio's death in addition to this palace in which giulio executed many other works worthy to be praised of which in order to avoid prolixity i shall say nothing he reconstructed with masonry many rooms in the castle where the duke lives at mantua and made two very large spiral staircases with very rich apartments adorned all over with stucco in one hall he caused the whole of the story of troy and the trojan war to be painted and likewise twelve scenes in oils in an antechamber below the heads of the twelve emperors previously painted there by tiziano vecelli which are all held to be excellent in like manner at marmirolo a place five miles distant from mantua a most commodious building was erected after the design of giulio and under his direction with large paintings no less beautiful than those of the castle and of the palace of the tay the same master painted an altarpiece in oils for the chapel of signora isabella buschetta at santa andrea at mantua of our lady in the act of adoring the infant jesus who is lying on the ground with saint joseph the ass and the ox near a manger and on one side saint john the evangelist and saint longinus on the other figures of the size of life next on the walls of the same chapel he caused rinaldo to paint two very beautiful scenes after his own designs on one the crucifixion of jesus christ with the thieves some angels in the air and on the ground the ministers of the crucifixion and the marys with many horses in which he always delighted making them beautiful to a marvel and many soldiers in various attitudes and on the other the scene when the blood of christ was discovered in the time of the countess matilda which was a most beautiful work giulio then painted with his own hand for duke federigo a picture of our lady washing the little jesus christ who is standing in a basin while a little st john is pouring out the water from a vase both of these figures which are of the size of life are very beautiful and in the distance are small figures from the waist upward of some ladies who are coming to visit the madonna this picture was afterwards presented by the duke to signora isabella buschetta of which lady giulio subsequently made a most beautiful portrait in a little picture of the nativity of christ 
one braccio in height which is now in the possession of signor vespasiano gonzaga together with another picture presented to him by duke federigo and likewise by the hand of giulio in which are a young man and a young woman embracing each other on a bed in the act of caressing one another while an old woman peeps at them secretly from behind a door figures which are a little less than life-size and very graceful in the house of the same person is another very excellent picture of a most beautiful saint jerome also by the hand of giulio and in the possession of count nicola maffei is a picture of alexander the great of the size of life with a victory in his hand copied from an ancient medal which is a work of great beauty after these works giulio painted in fresco over a chimney-piece for monsignor girolamo the organist of the duomo at mantua who was very much his friend a vulcan who is working his bellows with one hand and holding with the other with a pair of tongs the iron head of an arrow that he is forging while venus is tempering in a vase some already made and placing them in cupid's quiver this is one of the most beautiful works that giulio ever executed and there is little else in fresco by his hand to be seen for saint domenico at the commission of monsignor lodovico da fermo he painted an altarpiece of the dead christ whom joseph and nicodemus are preparing to lay in the sepulchre and near them are his mother the other marys and saint john the evangelist and a little picture in which he also painted a dead christ is in the house of the florentine tommaso da empoli at venice at the same time when he was executing these and other pictures it happened that signor giovanni de medici having been wounded by a musket-ball was carried to mantua where he died whereupon messer pietro aretino who was the devoted servant of that lord and very much the friend of giulio desired that giulio should mould a likeness of him with his own hand as he lay dead and he therefore having taken a cast from the face of the dead man executed a portrait from it which remained for many years afterwards in the procession of the same aretino for the entry of the emperor charles v into mantua giulio by order of the duke made many most beautiful festive preparations in the form of arches scenery for dramas and a number of other things in which inventions giulio had no equal nor was there ever any man more fanciful in preparing masquerades and in designing extravagant costumes for jousts festivals and tournaments as was seen at that time with amazement and marvel by the emperor charles and by all who were present besides this at different times he gave so many designs for chapels houses gardens and facades throughout the whole of mantua and he so delighted to embellish and adorn the city that whereas it was formerly buried in mud and at times full of stinking water and almost uninhabitable he brought it to such a condition that at the present day thanks to his industry it is dry healthy and altogether pleasing and delightful while giulio was in the service of that duke one year the po bursting its banks inundated mantua in such a manner that in certain low-lying parts of the city the water rose to the height of nearly four braccia insomuch that for a long time frogs lived in them almost all the year round giulio therefore after pondering in what way he might put this right so went to work that for the time being the city was restored to its former condition 
and to the end that the same might not happen another time he contrived to have the streets on that side raised so much by command of the duke that they came above the level of the water and the buildings stood in safety in that part of the city the houses were small slightly built and of no great importance and he gave orders that they should be pulled down in order to raise the streets and bring that quarter to a better state and that new houses larger and more beautiful should be built there to the advantage and improvement of the city to this measure many opposed themselves saying to the duke that giulio was doing too much havoc but he would not hear any of them nay he made giulio superintendent of the streets at that very time and decreed that no one should build in that city save under giulio's direction on which account many complaining and some even threatening giulio this came to the ears of the duke who used such words in his favour as made it known that if they did anything to the despite or injury of giulio he would count it as done to himself and would make an example of them the duke was so enamoured of the excellence of giulio that he could not live without him and giulio on his part bore to that lord the greatest reverence that it is possible to imagine wherefore he never asked a favour for himself or for others without obtaining it and when he died it was found that with all he had received from the duke he had an income of more than a thousand ducats giulio built a house for himself in mantua opposite to st barnaba on the outer side of which he made a fantastic façade all wrought with coloured stucco and the interior he caused to be all painted and wrought likewise with stucco and he found place in it for many antiquities brought from rome and others received from the duke to whom he gave many of his own he made so many designs both for mantua and for places in its neighbourhood that it was a thing incredible for as has been told no palaces or other buildings of importance could be erected particularly in the city save after his design he rebuilt upon the old walls of the church of san benedetto a rich and vast seat of black friars at mantua near the po and the whole church was embellished with most beautiful paintings and altarpieces from designs by his hand and since his works were very highly prized throughout lombardy it pleased gian matteo ghiberti bishop of verona to have the tribune of the duomo of that city all painted as has been related in another place by il moro the veronese after designs by giulio for the duke of ferrara also he executed many designs for tapestries which were afterwards woven in silk and gold by maestro niccolo and giovan battista rosso both flemings and of these there are engravings to be seen executed by giovan battista mantovano who engraved a vast number of things drawn by giulio and in particular besides three drawings of battles engraved by others a physician who is applying cupping glasses to the shoulders of a woman and the flight of our lady into egypt with joseph holding the ass by the halter and some angels bending down a date-palm in order that christ may pluck the fruit the same master engraved also after the designs of giulio the wolf on the tiber suckling romulus and remus and four stories of pluto jove and neptune who are dividing the heavens the earth and the sea among them by lot and likewise the goat amalthea which held by melissa is giving suck to jove 
and a large plate of many men in a prison, tortured in various ways. There were also printed, after the inventions of Giulio, Scipio, and Hannibal holding a parley with their armies on the banks of the river, the Nativity of St. John the Baptist, which was engraved by Sebastiano da Reggio, and many other works engraved and printed in Italy. In Flanders and in France, likewise, have been printed innumerable sheets from designs by Giulio, of which, although they are very beautiful, there is no need to make mention, nor of all his drawings, seeing that he made them, so to speak, in loads. Let it be enough to say that he was so facile in every field of art, and particularly in drawing, that we have no record of any one who has produced more than he did. Giulio, who was very versatile, was able to discourse on every subject, but above all on medals, upon which he spent large sums of money and much time in order to gain knowledge of them. And although he was employed almost always in great works, this does not mean that he would not set his hand at times to the most trifling of matters in order to oblige his patron and his friends, and no sooner had one opened his mouth to explain to him his conception than he had understood it and drawn it. Among the many rare things that he had in his house was the portrait from life of Albrecht Dürer, on a piece of fine rem's cloth by the hand of Albrecht himself, who sent it, as has been related in another place, as a present to Raffaello da Urbino. This portrait was an exquisite thing, for it had been coloured in gouache with much diligence with water-colours, and Albrecht had executed it without using lead-white, availing himself in its stead of the white of the cloth, with the delicate threads of which he had so well rendered the hairs of the beard that it was a thing scarcely possible to imagine, much less to do and when held up to the light it showed through on either side this portrait which was very dear to giulio he showed to me himself as a miracle when i went during his lifetime to mantua on some affairs of my own at the death of duke federigo by whom giulio had been beloved beyond belief he was so overcome with sorrow that he would have left mantua if the cardinal the brother of the duke on whom the government of the state had descended because the sons of Federigo were very young, had not detained him in that city, where he had a wife and children, houses, villas, and all the other possessions that are proper to a gentleman of means. And this the cardinal did, aided by those reasons, from a wish to avail himself of the advice and assistance of Giulio in renovating, or rather building almost entirely anew, the Duomo of that city, to which work Giulio set his hand and carried it well on in a very beautiful form. At this time Giorgio Vasari, who was much the friend of Giulio, although they did not know one another save only by reputation and by letters, in going to Venice, took the road by Mantua in order to see Giulio and his works. And so, having arrived in that city, and going to find his friend, when they met, although they had never seen each other, they knew one another no less surely than if they had been together in person a thousand times. At which Giulio was so filled with joy and contentment, that for four days he never left him, showing him all his works, and in particular all the ground plans of the ancient edifices in Rome, Naples, Pozzuolo, and Campania, 
and of all the other fine antiquities of which anything is known, drawn partly by him and partly by others. Then, opening a very large press, he showed to Giorgio the ground plans of all the buildings that had been erected after his designs and under his direction, not only in Mantua and in Rome, but throughout all Lombardy, which were so beautiful that I, for my part, do not believe that there are to be seen any architectural inventions more original, more lovely, or better composed. After this, the cardinal asking Giorgio what he thought of the works of Giulio, Giorgio answered in the presence of Giulio that they were such that he deserved to have a statue of himself placed at every corner of the city, and that since he had given the city a new life, the half of the state would not be a sufficient reward for the labours and abilities of Giulio. To which the cardinal answered that Giulio was more the master of that state than he was himself. And since Giulio was very loving, especially towards his friends, there was no mark of love and affection that Giorgio did not receive from him. The same Vasari, having left Mantua and gone to Venice, returned to Rome at the very time when Michelagnolo had just uncovered his last judgment in the chapel, and he sent to Giulio by Monsignor Nino Nini of Cortonia, the secretary of the aforesaid Cardinal of Mantua, three sheets containing the seven mortal sins, copied from that last judgment of Michelagnolo, which were welcome in no ordinary manner to Giulio, both as being what they were, and because he had at that time to paint a chapel in the palace of the cardinal, and they served to inspire him to greater things than those that he had in mind. Putting forward all possible effort, therefore, to make a most beautiful cartoon, he drew in it with fine fancy the scene of Peter and Andrew leaving their nets at the call of Christ, in order to follow him, and to be thenceforward not fishers of fishes, but fishers of men. And this cartoon, which proved to be the most beautiful that Giulio had ever made, was afterwards carried into execution by the painter Fermo Ghisoni, a pupil of Giulio, and now an excellent master. Not long afterwards the superintendents of the building of San Petronio at Bologna, being desirous to make a beginning with the façade of that church, succeeded after great difficulty in inducing Giulio to go there. In company with a Milanese architect called Tofano Lombardino, a man in great repute at that time in Lombardy, for the many buildings by his hand that were to be seen in that country. These masters, then, made many designs, those of Baldassare Peruzzi of Siena having been lost, and one that Giulio made, among others, was so beautiful and so well ordered that he rightly received very great praise for it from that people, and was rewarded with most liberal gifts on his return to Mantua. Meanwhile, Antonio da San Gallo, having died at Rome about that time, the superintendents of the building of San Pietro had been thereby left in no little embarrassment, not knowing to whom to turn, or on whom to lay the charge of carrying that great fabric to completion after the plan already begun. But they thought that no one could be more fitted for this than Giulio Romano, for they all knew how great were his worth and excellence. And so, surmising that he would accept such a charge more than willingly in order to repatriate himself in an honourable manner, and with a good salary, they caused some of his friends to approach him, but in vain. 
for the reason that although he would have gone with great willingness two things prevented him the cardinal would in no way consent to his departure and his wife with her relatives and friends used every possible means to dissuade him neither of these two reasons perchance would have prevailed with him if he had not happened to be in somewhat feeble health at that time for having considered how much honour and profit he might secure for himself and his children by accepting so handsome a proposal he was already fully disposed to make every effort not to be hindered in the matter by the cardinal when his malady began to grow worse however since it had been ordained on high that he should go no more to rome and that this should be the end and conclusion of his life in a few days what with his vexation and his malady he died at mantua which city might well have allowed him even as he had embellished her so also to honour and adorn his native city of rome giulio died at the age of fifty-four leaving only one male child to whom he had given the name of raffaello out of regard for the memory of his master this young raffaello had scarcely learned the first rudiments of art showing signs of being destined to become an able master when he also died not many years after together with his mother giulio's wife wherefore there remained no descendant of giulio save a daughter called virginia who still lives in mantua married to ercole malatesta giulio whose death was an infinite grief to all who knew him was given burial in st barnaba where it was proposed that some honourable memorial should be erected to him but his wife and children postponing the matter from one day to another themselves died for the most part without doing anything it is indeed a sad thing that there has been no one who has treasured in any way the memory of a man who did so much to adorn that city save only those who availed themselves of his services who have often remembered him in their necessities but his own talent which did him so much honour in his lifetime has secured for him after death in the form of his own works an everlasting monument which time with all its years can never destroy giulio was neither tall nor short of stature and rather stout than slight in build he had black hair beautiful features and eyes dark and merry and he was very loving regular in all his actions and frugal in eating but fond of dressing and living in honourable fashion he had disciples in plenty but the best were giovanni da leone raffaello dal colle of borgo benedetto pagni of pescia figurino da faenza rinaldo mantovano giovan battisto mantovano and fermo ghisoni who still lives in mantua and does him honour being an excellent painter and the same may be said for benedetto who has executed many works in his native city of pescia and an altarpiece for the duomo of pisa which is in the office of works and also a picture of our lady in which with a poetical invention full of grace and beauty he painted a figure of florence presenting to her the dignities of the house of medici which picture is now in the possession of signor mondragoni a spaniard much in favour with that most illustrious lord the prince of florence giulio died on the day of all saints in the year fifteen forty six 
and over his tomb was placed the following epitaph romanus moriens secum tres julius artes abstulit haud murum quatro unus erat end of section fifteen